0: Well, dear friends, please go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8 and verses 1 through 15. I'll go ahead and read Luke 8 and verses 1 through 15. It says, soon afterward, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some of the women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when the great crowd was gathering and the people from the town, town after town, came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock And as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things. He called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are parables." We have a beginning portion of this passage that may not seem to directly fit, or you may not generally associate this passage, this beginning portion, with the parable of the soils, or oftentimes it's called the parable of the sowers, but I'm presenting it as the parable of the soils because the soils are really what is emphasized within this passage. The soils are what is distinct. We're going to see four different soils, and each of the soils will have seed thrown upon them, and it is the soils that are distinct, not the seed that is being thrown out. The seed being thrown out is the Word of God, is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is going out. But I want us to to recognize this first portion here, and you have a series of women that are healed. You have Mary, called Magdalene, who had seven demons cast out of her. Another one named Joanna, who is the wife of Chusa. Um, Herod's household manager, very distinct and important reference that is being made there by Luke, seeing as the gospel is going out and all different kinds of people are being saved. You have people from different levels in the culture, people in different areas of the culture. And you have one here who is, in, who is a household manager of Herod, and then you have Susanna, and then it says many others, and they were those who were giving out of There means. This is, this needs to be recognized as something that is somewhat shocking for the time period. It's not shocking for you. You don't find this to be shocking. But there were many rabbis at this time that taught that it was forbidden for a rabbi to be teaching a woman in public or to be out in public and teaching women directly. And this is something that you find Jesus doing. You find Jesus teaching women, Jesus befriending women, and women who are supporting Jesus, I also want to make a note regarding Mary Magdalene because I don't believe, or Mary who was from the city of Magdalene. um, And she is oftentimes, this is going to be the second passage in a row where we have to make this, this little clarification, she has been considered to be a prostitute throughout church history. Um, and i 'm not sure there 's sufficient evidence to make such a determination i don 't know why that we come to these conclusions about women in scripture that that is absolutely the sin that they must be involved in. but I want to make a short um, argument here as to why i don 't think this is appropriate and i 'm using it as the introduction even to this entire passage it 's true that the city of Magdalen was known for having Uh, prostitutes, which is why many see Mary Magdalene and say, oh, well, she's from this city, just like the woman of the previous passage where it said she is of the town or of the city and assume that that meant she was involved in that particular sin. But the same thing here. She's being called Mary Magdalene. And so, they say, well, in that particular city, this is a sin that occurs many times. And so, this must be what she has uh, going on, um, but i don 't think that is is particularly appropriate. I mean, I want you to consider that reality. Which of you would like to be known throughout your Christian life for the sin that you had participated in prior to? coming to Christ. How how appropriate would it be to, in writing, just refer to someone by that particular sin forever, as though they're referring to her as Mary Magdalene. Oh yeah, this is Mary, you know, the one that used to be a prostitute, as though that's the way that we interact with one another as Christians. And I say that to you, and you recognize, well, that doesn't quite sound right. That doesn't quite sound like something that is appropriate. We even see Luke referring to her that way later on. um, After the resurrection, we see Luke 24, 10 and 11. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, again Joanna, the same one that's in here, and Mary the mother of James and the other women uh, with them told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them to be an idle tale and they did not believe them. And so these are the women that recognized the resurrection and came back and presented that truth to the apostles and how inappropriate it would be just for luke just to refer to her in that way i went to school in new orleans i met my wife when i was there in new orleans and there's a great many sins that new orleans are is known for but anyone from the city does not need to be attributed or associated with all of those sins in particular this is just in my opinion somewhat sloppy scholarship and something that scholars will say, oh wow, I found this historical detail and just put the two together. When when you step back and think about it and you understand how it is that Christ interacts with us and how it is that we would like to be spoken of and thought of as Christians who have been saved by grace and through faith, it doesn't make any sense. I don't think it is an appropriate designation. This is being emphasized right here though. These women are being talked of here just prior to this parable because these women were just healed. These women were just freed from the clutches of Satan. These women were freed, some of them, from multiple demons. And Luke here is declaring what is happening. Jesus is going about. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is declaring the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this is going out to many different people and it is being received in many different ways. You see the message going outward and you see different people receiving it differently. And it is being compared here to a sower that's going out or a farmer that is going out. And he is broadcasting seed. He is walking out and there is a field that has been plowed or has been worked and he's beginning to throw this seed outward, and it's falling on different kinds of soils. Let's look at verse 4 and 5 in Luke 8. It says, When a great crowd was gathering, and the people of the town, town, uh, town after town, came to see him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And that's the idea that's going to be communicated here. You have a sower who is going out, and he is sowing seed. He is broadcasting the seed. He is throwing this seed outward, and this seed is falling upon. Different soils. And the soil that the seed lands upon is going to have a great effect upon the plant that comes up. Some of the plants will not come up at all. Some of the plants will come up somewhat and then they won't have roots. Other plants will begin to come up, but they will be choked out by other weeds in that area. And then lastly, we're going to have the good soil. So you have the soil that falls on the path. This is like a roadway that the seed falls on. Secondly, you have the soil that falls on the rock. Thirdly, the weeds. And fourthly, the good soil. And we're going to walk through each of these types of soil and discuss it within the parable where Jesus presents it. And also at the same time introduce Jesus' interpretation of the parable. Because Jesus was speaking to people in parables for the purpose of... um, Um, not bringing out all of the information to everyone. At this point in his ministry, he begins to go out and he doesn't teach everyone in the same way in which he had before. And he's going to speak very directly to his believers. And this is kind of an emphasis here upon this first soil, that there is a judgment that is being given by God on people who did not listen. People who had been given the Word of God, people who had been taught and were not receiving it, those who had hard hearts, and we're not willing to receive the message that was being presented by Jesus. Let's look at that first soil that we see here where it says some fell on the path. We see that in Luke 8.5 and also Luke 8.12. Luke 8.5 says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And then Jesus interprets this and says this in verse 12 of Luke 8. He says, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. This first soil is the soil that falls there along the path. This is a hard-hearted person. This is a person who is not open to the proclamation of the Word of God. This is a person who is not open to the recognition of their own sinfulness and their need of the grace of God. They're not willing to even receive this. It doesn't even begin to penetrate the soil at this point. It is crushed by those that go by on the pathway. It is taken away by the birds of the air. The devil is coming and taking away. The Word to them is that which is worthless. It is crushed. It is brought to a point of of worthlessness. You may have someone like this that even interacts religiously with others that may speak Christianese, but there's no true desire on their part to have the Word of God. This is a judgment of God. Just as there is a judgment of God that is here where Jesus is now speaking parables so that those that hear may not understand, but specific ones That are willing to hear Christ will have those parables interpreted. There's a judgment of God that is coming down. We see this many, many times in the scriptures where even the the right response, a reasonable response, a, a sane response in a circumstance is even being removed. The person's heart is hardened. Pharaoh is. Such a classic example of that, so much so that Paul uses Pharaoh as an example in the book of Romans. Pharaoh, who was under the judgment of God, where all that he owned, all that he cared for, all that he ruled over was being destroyed. His very rule was being undermined. The foundation that he stood upon was being destroyed. And anyone with any sense, anyone with any reason, very early on would have said, Allow. The Hebrews to go, allow them to go and to worship their own God. But the Lord hardened his heart. He was not willing to listen to the word of God. He was not willing to listen to the prophet of God. He was not willing to recognize the fact that he was not a God himself, but rather chose to place himself in the position of God, believing that he was a God or rather would become a God perhaps. And he was judged and his heart was hardened And it got so bad that the entirety of the plagues happened and they were chasing the Hebrews even there to the Red Sea. And then the sea splits open and the Jews begin to walk through the Red Sea and anyone with any sense would have said, let's turn around and go. This man has caused the water to go into the air. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he went headlong and he chased after the Hebrews and Pharaoh and his army were destroyed. Pharaoh's heart. Was hardened. This was a judgment that had fallen upon him. Let's let's see a similar example of that. This this idea that we see of this first soil, this soil that is here on on the road. And you need to understand kind of the, how how it would be set up. You would have like many times we have fields and they have fences around them. They didn't generally have fences in in these areas. They would have rather roads that would separate one farmer's land from the other. And so as you'd be throwing seeds out at various times, there would be this road or this pathway in between the two fields. And that's what we have the seed falling upon. It's falling upon these, these areas that are trampled regularly, these places where the seed is going to go out, it's going to fall down, and it's going to be wide open, which is what you have. The birds are coming down and taking this away. Consider what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6. You have Paul in this passage interacting very directly with those who have been blinded, whose minds have been blinded, whose eyes have been blinded. This gospel is veiled. Anyone with any sense that would recognize the creation itself would see the existence of God. There would be no question whatsoever that God exists. There would be no question whatsoever that being that God exists, we will give an account to God for we are moral people we are a people who have broken his law but the gospel is veiled to those who do not recognize this the gospel is veiled to those who refuse to recognize their own sinfulness who refuse to recognize their need of the grace of God those who believe that I will be sufficient on my own who believe I have sufficient righteousness in and of myself Or believe I am one who is deserving of the grace of God. The gifts of God. And a person can hear the word of God preached. And can hear the word of God preached. And it can happen Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. People can sit in families where the word of God is read and read and read and read. And there can come a time when the Lord says no more. You have heard the word of God. You have refused to recognize your sin. You have refused to humble yourself, and the hardening of the person's heart will begin. It is a reality. There's a time when the Lord says no more, and Satan is so allowed to blind such a person. Satan is so allowed to bring the person to continue to do what they desire. Understand this. When someone's heart is hardened, so many people misunderstand this. Say, oh, you're, you're Calvinist. You just believe God made someone that way. No, you don't understand that God has been restraining your sin since you came into existence. You have not lived out the fullness of what is in your heart. The human heart is is depraved. The human heart is desperately wicked. And the Lord places curbs in our lives. There's even curbs in our culture that restrain sin. And there's a removal of that curb that happens on a cultural sense whereby God is judging the culture and they are allowed to walk headlong into their sinful desires. They are allowed to walk headlong into what they desire within their heart. And the same thing can happen with an individual where the Lord is no longer restraining the sin as he was before. And the person goes on not to do what God made them do, not to do what God is forcing them to do, for God is not doing that, but to go forward and do what is within their own hearts. The Lord says, no more. No more shall you even hear. Just as a judgment is here with those that Jesus is speaking to, that he is no longer speaking with the same clarity that he spoke before, the same can happen. And please understand this. This is a reality, dear friends. Don't trust yourself and say, well, I came from this family or I went to this church for so long or I have this particular association or do what so many do is justify yourself by comparison and say, well, because I didn't do this or that or I'm not like this person, I am sufficient. No, dear friends. No, dear friends, you must not justify yourself by looking to others. You must not look at yourself as being sufficient because others are insufficient. You must compare yourself to the perfect law of God, God's moral law. You must see the ways in which you fall short and find no hope in yourself. Don't tell yourself, well t- tomorrow I will repent. Uh, t- tomorrow I will get my life straight. I-, I will live my life out while I'm young. I will live my life up while I'm young and I will I will make the change later on. You're not fooling anyone. The Lord is not deceived. You're not kidding anyone. There will come a time dear friends if you continue in your you continue in your persistence that the Lord says, go ahead, walk on. That's what you want. You go ahead with what's actually in your heart, and the Lord will allow you to continue. Paul walks through this reality in Romans 1, and we've walked through this numerous times. We're going to walk through it once again. Let's walk through Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We have that first reality that's being communicated by Paul, that men here are suppressing the truth. What truth are they suppressing? It says there in verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse that is the that is the general Declaration that is God's general revelation the reality of God's existence is communicated in the creation that has been made, it is communicated in your very being and existence. In the information that is even there within each and every one of your cells that communicates to your body how to even make more of you and make different parts of you, it is there and it is there because it was created by one who is intelligent, it was created by one who brought this into existence. It wasn't an accident. It's such a lie. All the lies that are told in our culture, all the lies that are being put forward as so-called science, as though things just blew up and became as they are, it is absolutely absurd. The Bible says here that God's Word is declared, God's law is declared, God's existence is declared, in that which has been made so we are without excuse there is sufficient evidence in general revelation to condemn each and every one of us none of us could stand before the lord and say i just didn't have enough evidence i just didn't know no you knew it was wrong to steal because you didn't want people to steal from you you knew it was wrong to lie because you didn't want people to lie to you you are without excuse But then you have this downward spiral that continues. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is man descending in his rebellion, man descending in his rebellion. Uh, refusal to recognize the authority of God, the reign of God, that he begins to do that which is contrary to his humanity. He begins rather to, rather than worship the Creator, he begins to worship the creation. That which should point you to God is now just pointing back to man for these that are there. They're worshiping and serving the creation which is absolutely Absurd. The creation before you could not have brought itself into existence. There needed to be a creator. Verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever." Amen. So you have God giving people up at this point. God turning people over. Not causing them to do this. But them being turned over to do that which is within their hearts. Because they refuse to recognize the authority of God. Because they refuse to recognize the reign of God. And the the ways in which this dehumanizes them continues in the passage. It says in verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions... For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. You see them denying their basic humanity, denying what is very clear within how they were made, and you see God turning them over to this debased mind. Paul says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God, righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, and they not, only, um, they not only do them, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. We're very much having this unfold within our culture right now, overwhelmingly. Overwhelming. This judgment of God has fallen upon our culture, and there's a blindness that is here, even just to see what is clear Within nature, even clear to see what is best for men and women, what is best even for young people. There is a blindness that is passing over and it is happening because people are denying God overwhelmingly in the culture. There is a denial of God, there is a denial of God's law and God's decree, there is a denial of God's rule. Man says, I will rule, I will be sovereign. And the Lord is blinding the eyes of others on account of this. There are those that think, there are those that rule and they believe that they are in some way freeing themselves by removing themselves from the shackles that they see of religion, removing themselves of the shackles of Christianity, but they realize not that they are bringing upon themselves the judgment of God, that for God to allow a people to remove the church from their country, from their area is a very judgment of God for in the church you have the very keys of the kingdom. In the church you have the very declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a sad and and first um, soil that we find here and it is those that fell there upon this soil. But secondly, we see the soil of those that fell upon the rock in verses 6 in chapter 8. It says, and some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And then in verse 13, Jesus interprets it and says, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. It says it grew up, and then it withered away. The farmer is throwing seed out, and some of it falls onto the rock. Now, prior to studying this passage, I I actually didn't really understand, well, what's the difference between the seed that fell upon the rock and the seed that fell upon the uh, the pathway? I mean, the pathway was very rocky. The pathway was very much beaten down. Why would that not be? Um, why would there be a difference that is there? And why is the farmer purposely throwing seed upon rock? But the rock here doesn't mean a bunch of rocks. The rock here doesn't even mean rock that you see. Because think about it. If I threw a seed upon some rocks it wouldn't sprout it wouldn't begin to grow that's not how that's not how seeds work it would go nowhere the sun would shine upon it and it would it would just die understand this israel was a very uh, rocky area so although you may have farmland you may have land that you've plowed even below where you plow there can be a rock bed and the farmers would recognize this they would recognize that there would be certain areas around where there were rock beds underneath their soil, and what would happen is, whenever the the uh, seed began to germinate and the roots began to go down, they would not be able to go to the depth they need to go for that plant. And so, what would happen is that plant would begin to sprout up more than the others. And the reality is, with a plant like this, it looks like it's doing even better than the plant on the good soil. Um, it looks like it's it's sprouting up even, even even faster than the others. I, you see this in Matthew, Matthew's rendition of um, this particular parable. We see Matthew thirteen five and 6. It says it this way. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, saying it slightly differently. But this idea of it rising up immediately, a, a quickness to the sprouting of this plant. And at first glance, it looks like it's doing better. But the farmer knows, the farmer can look at that plant and know that plant doesn't have sufficient roots. That plant is not being properly grounded as it needs to be. The fact that you have it sprouting up faster than the others is, is an evidence that there is something that is greatly wrong. It's not being grounded as they should be. It's the emphasis there. There needs to be depth. There must be depth for these plants that are, that are growing this is a reminder here, as well that we must be rooted, we must be grounded in in truth there There are times where you can see someone that hears the gospel or comes around a church at some time and there is great zeal and there is great excitement and praise God for that that is good, and even people 's personalities can be a little differently sometimes Americans can be a little stoic than 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 other people and so other cultures or, or different people they, they can have a little more zeal or or a little more pep but ultimately though there must be a a groundedness that there must be something that, that is rooted. And there is a danger that is there, especially with presentations that go forward where where there is a desire to share Christianity with those that are not rooted well, or rather to share Christianity in a well that never allows people to be properly rooted. Kind of brush over the main things for the sake of time. Kind of skip through the gospel presentation. Really emphasize the ways in which it, it's going to do this or that for you and not, not emphasize the necessity of being grounded, necessity of being rooted. Not recognizing the necessity of properly working that ground, of properly communicating the law, instructing people that you have broken the very law of God heard a very sad story many years ago. There was a, a pastor that was changing the entirety of the evangelism within, within the church and how they would go out with other people and even how they were going to operate within their, their Sunday schools. And someone that I know was sharing this with me, and they had a book that was written by a man who had gone out to tribes that were illiterate. And when they went out to these tribes that were illiterate, they found that they had difficulty uh, communicating some of the ideas that were in the text of Scripture because this tribe was illiterate and they had no written language and even their, their communication was very, very limited. So they began to just communicate the Scriptures as best they could in in stories. And the people did become converted. They ended up planting a church here. And the truth is the people began to have a language and they began to work to translate the Bible into that language, but this pastor made a or rather the writer of this book even made an inappropriate conclusion from this information they had. And that is, he said, Well, this worked really well here. We should do that in all places, everywhere. And so the, the stories that were then what was being taught in the Sunday schools and what was being taught to the new people that came around was was not scriptures, was not being grounded in the particular words of scripture, but rather these vague generalities or these these illustrations overwhelmingly. And what's interesting here is that sometimes people use the fact that Jesus taught in parables as an argument for instructing in this way. And I've already told you that one of the aspects of Jesus teaching in parables was to blind certain people, or rather to to not reveal certain things to certain people so that it would be veiled. They would not have a full understanding. But it's it's even more um, inappropriate because this is what the Word of God has brought to us. This is what we have within the Word of God. We, we are not to go into to change these things. We're not to go into make changes to this, but rather we must see how they have declared this to be true. We must see the depth of the rich of doctrine that is there within the Scriptures, we must recognize the ways in which the Lord has given this to us, and it's not for us to pick and to choose. The necessity of depth within teaching in Christianity is, is necessary. It, is, it, it must be there. People must be rooted. Pe- people must be grounded. Otherwise, the cares of the world would begin to move people around. Otherwise, people will not be properly rooted. Think of the other illustration that is given by Jesus, and, and that house that is built upon the rock. And as we saw that, that picture that is there, that this house is built on the rock, and there's a, this other house that is here that is built on, on, on a soil that is, that is not rock, that is not grounded, and, and they look so similar. They, 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 in so many ways, the, these houses, you could compare the roofs, you can compare the architecture, so many things about the houses could be compared but the grounding of the house is demonstrated when the difficulties come, the grounding of the house is demonstrated when the judgment of God begins to fall upon it, and the house that is founded and grounded in the rock stands, stands through the judgment of God, stands through the difficulties and the, the trials of life. The same here is true that the, the plant the seeds that fall there are along this rocky soil, the soil that has this bedrock. Just a little way underneath the soil does not firmly get grounded. It does not have sufficient moisture. There's not enough moisture that is there. It's scorched out by the sun and it falls away. Again, reminding you that the sower is merely throwing these seeds out and they're falling upon these soils. The third one falls among thorns. We see this in Luke 8 and verse 7. It says, And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, with it and choked it. And then in verse 14 of chapter 8, it says, And as for those, or rather, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. You know, th- there are many ways in which people will seek to package Christianity to make it more attractive to other people that 's the sad reality here that these four soils exist, and there are people that have created entire ministries seeking to um, accommodate people in these particular soils. There is a Christianity that is very shallow it 's not a true Christianity, but there is a desire of, of those that would that would proclaim something that has no depth at all. I, my, my children, and I saw honestly one of the most incredible examples of this that, that we Have ever seen it is a I won't even say the name but it is a a church in Canada I I tell you all of us were were shocked by this but each and every Easter this church will go and do a a so-called Easter play and they won't even do the normal Easter play where you have biblical characters which would honestly not be appropriate for a Lord's Day service this particular church goes and grabs things from the culture, so they do an Easter play using the Avengers, or they, they do an Easter play using, um, um, oh my goodness, they, using uh, the, the family of the Opera, or, or they used, uh, they use Star Trek. just and they, and they go and put pretty much nothing that has to do anything with Christianity, but then one of the characters will die and resurrect, and they will all sing worldly songs around that person, Uh, in this process. And I assume what their intention is to pull people from the culture in. Well, people are interested in the Avengers. People are interested in these different movies. People are interested in these, these different worldly songs. And so by doing this, we can bring these people in, and then we can bring them into Christianity and in some way share this with them, that they can come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then you'll have the pastor that comes out dressed as one of these characters many times, dressed as someone from the Pirates of the Caribbean or, or something like this. I, I've seen churches begin to have sermon series based on movies, but I've never seen one go to this extent and spend so much time and money doing this. But this is the idea that they're just declaring something with the hope of bringing someone in in some way showing them Jesus, but they're presenting something that is so shallow. It's just a facade of Christianity and the same here is true with this soil, with this soil where there's weeds, and the weeds begin to choke out the plant that begins to grow. There are entire ministries that are based upon this, and this is something, honestly, that is a lot more common in this culture, which is to rather have a teaching that is based upon felt needs or, or a teaching that is To solve problems that people have uh, in their lives, that they could have a better marriage, that they could be better parents, that they could have a success in their career, that they could make it within the corporate ladder, or they could grow within their wealth or their power or their networks. There's entire ministries. There's there's books that declare this on the front cover, and this this is this is something where they're seeing there's a people that are here. There's a particular soil that is here, and these are a people that desire these worldly things. These are a people that desire to have these particular needs met, and it lacks the grounding. It lacks all the other aspects of Christianity. It lacks, let's be honest, so much even, this can, this can happen even in Orthodox churches where you have a, the missing of the first three chapters pretty much of the book of Ephesians. And then we get on to all of these, the, these aspects of the moral law and how it is we're to live our Christianity out, but we have no grounding or no basis as to why it is that we should do this. That's the this soil right here. This is the soil. That, the seed penetrates the soil, the plant begins... To grow, And it looks, in many ways, like the plant that grows out of the good soil. Notice that these last three soils, the plant begins to grow. At first, you don't have clarity. You don't have certainty as to which soil this seed has been planted into. But this is a person who has come to Christianity, who has claimed to accept the gospel, claimed to trust in Jesus, but not on account of the grace that has been granted to them, by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ, but for the purpose of attaining something of, uh, of worldly standing, or rather, their desire is more upon that which is of the world than that which is of God. Again, many will try to do this. They will try to appeal to this worldly sense in some way, and then just kind of slap Jesus on at the end, just like the the church that I mentioned that would have this Easter play with the Avengers or something like that, and then just try to throw Jesus on the tail end of that. There's others that will go and put forward something. This is my methodology, this is the way we're gonna teach, this is going to change this or help you with this, it's gonna help you to grow in your wealth and your health, and then slap Jesus on the end of that. The truth is there's there's some plants that can grow in rocky soil. That's true. You, you, can, you can sow seeds into rocky areas and plants will grow there. I mean, you could be walking down the sidewalk and see something growing in between the cracks of the sidewalk there. But you're not going to see a corn plant grow up in the middle of the sidewalk. You're not going to see an apple tree grow up in the middle of the sidewalk. You're not going to see a fruit-bearing plant grow up in the middle of the sidewalk and also, even on this soil, though it may not accept these, these seeds of the gospel that are going forward, that may get choked out. There are others that will go out and seek to plant something else that's not, in fact, the gospel, that's not, in fact, the, the teaching of Christ. And it can grow, you can grow weeds here among the weeds, but they will not produce fruit. They, they, they will not be true. They will not be that which the sower has thrown out. There are many things, dear friends, understand this, that can choke out true religion. There are many things that will distract others from seeing their need of Christ, distract others from turning to Christ Jesus. Love of money is one of those things. Paul speaks of this in 1 Timothy 6, uh, beginning in verse 2. He encourages Timothy in this way. He says, Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Notice the connection there. Even their connection to religion, this is in some way going to enhance my life. This connection to religion is going to in some way make me more successful. It's going to make me greater within the world. It's going to gain me in my influence. It's going to raise me within my financial standing. He says this in verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. How beneficial it is to remember that. How beneficial with all of our strivings and our work and even the blessings that God gives us and the wealth that the Lord may give you in your life to remember you will take none of it with you when you die. You brought none of it into the world and none of it will go with you when you die. The moment of your death, there will be people looking through your stuff, trying to figure out what they need to do with it because they need to sell your house or they need to give your apartment to someone else. Verse 8, it says, but if we have food and clothing, with these be content." But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Notice that warning that is there. The root of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people misquote this because well, in the King James Version, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. And so if you're King James only, then it has to say all evil in some way is tied to money. Even if you go back so far, you've got to go and look at the sin of Adam and Eve, and somehow that's tied to money as well, even though there was no system of commerce at that time. But the warning is here, um, and the concern is here, that this is a snare, just like these weeds become a snare for the plant that begins to grow up, that as that gospel is sown in that area and it begins to grow up, there are snares that are there that prevent the person from maturing, prevent the person from growing, prevent the person from actually repenting of their sins and trusting in Christ Jesus because they have their hands upon the world, because they're clinging to the things of this world. You cannot cling to the world and cling to Christ. You cannot cling to money and cling to the cross, it is is not something that is possible. And this is something that needs to be a warning. It is absolutely appropriate to work with your hands. It is appropriate to attain wealth. It is appropriate to be a good steward of what you have and to grow in wealth. But dear Christian, you must remember what Paul is even writing here, that you came into the world with nothing. You will go out of the world with nothing. And when it comes to Christ, you must be willing to turn aside all things. You must be willing to declare your faith in Jesus Christ regardless of what it costs you. And this may be something that many of you face in the years to come. There may be persecution that comes. There may be more difficulty that comes. It may be more than just a mere inconvenience to be a professing Christian. It may cost some of you your jobs. It may cost some of you your your positions. It may cost some of you your standings. It may cost some of you to take on an occupation that you're not necessarily trained for or that you don't desire to do, but Christ is more precious Christ is more beautiful. For the Christian, these weeds will not choke them out. There is a good soil that is here. The, these weeds, these tears amongst the soil are not there for the Christian. It must not be there. They must be removed. John gives us this warning. We, we preached through this previously. 1 John two fifteen through 17. He gives this warning. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That is This, this man that is here, the gospel is, is, is planted there amongst the soil that has these weeds, and this man is so in love with the world He is so ensnared with the world, so enmeshed with the world that the the gospel does not grow up within his heart. Fruit never comes forward. Fruit is not sustained on such a soil. Remember the rich young ruler. Remember the one that came forward to Christ Jesus. And he, he asked him the question, Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16, it says, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Look at the pride even in that question. What good deed must I do? What, what do I need to do? I've done these other things to attain something. What do I need to do here so that I can do this? And Jesus asks him, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Well, he even misjudges Jesus there. He sees Jesus merely as a prophet, doesn't see him as one who is God. Jesus even asked him, why do you call me good? You don't recognize me as God. God is the only one who is good. He said to him, which ones? Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not come and adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Now, that is bold. That that, that is brazen. That is incredibly proud to look at those commandments and say, yeah, I've always honored my father and mother. I've never broken that law, never committed adultery, never stolen anything, never lied even once in my life. I've always loved people. I've always treated people exactly the way that I want to be treated. I've met people that say these things, and as you begin to press upon them, They will then give you the response, well, nobody's perfect. Well, that's not a response to this. Jesus goes on, though. He doesn't press him in that way. That's what I might have said. This is not what he says. Jesus knows the man's heart. Jesus knows this person. He says, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will the rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus is able to look into this man's heart, and Jesus knew where this man's idols were. This was a man of means. It was a man of wealth. And you can be a, man's, a man of means, a man of wealth. We've talked about many people in the scriptures that were wealthy. We will see Joseph of Arimathea, who will, he will give um, to Christ at the time of his death. He will give him his tomb. We will see him carrying even large amounts, hundreds of thousands of of dollars, of, of herbs and spices and oils that will be used for Christ at, at his death for the kind of preparation for burial. This is a great gift that he will give. He's never condemned for being wealthy. You don't see Abraham condemned for being wealthy. Noah's not condemned for being wealthy. We don't see them condemned for this reason, but for the one that would cling to their wealth at the expense of Christ, the one who loves what they have, loves their possessions, loves the creation more than the Creator. The judgment of God is over them, for that is where their love is. And that was this man's issue. Jesus isn't saying, sell everything you have if you want to be saved. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you will be saved. That would be doing a disservice to the poor. If, if having those possessions were a problem for you, why is it good for you to go and to give them to someone else? No, having things isn't bad. It's what you do with them. It's your mindset toward them. It's how you hold them. It's your disposition toward your wealth and toward possession. And this isn't merely an issue for those that are wealthy. Many people who are not wealthy, many people who are poor, are great covetors. Many people who are rich are great covetors. And that was this man's issue here as well. The concerns of the world were choking out the gospel in this man's life. He was more concerned. He had these tears of the world that were clinging on to him because he loved the world more than he loved God. You can't cling to Christ and cling to the world Ask yourself as we've gone through this, am I one of these first three soils that were presented? Am I one who, when I hear the Word of God, that I want nothing to do with it, that I sit there and tell myself all the reasons why this doesn't apply to me? If I sit there and look and I just deride and I despise all those who would stand upon the Word of God, despise the church of God, or are you one who has a desire for the you know things that are religious, but... I don't want to get too far involved. I don't want too much depth on this. You know, you have many different pathways, many different ways to God. You have no real depth to your religion. Or you want as the last soil that was presented, or you want who is choked up by the cares of the world. Your mindset is so much on money and wealth and fame and pleasures and possessions. That you could hardly have a religion that will not in some way support you in that. That you would despise anyone that would walk a path that does not have such desires. These are questions that need to be asked. These are realities that need to be considered because each of these three soils that the gospel was thrown to recognize that it is a gospel that has gone out. The sower has thrown the seed out to each of these three soils. And the difference was not in the message. Each of these have the gospel go forward. The difference is in the soil. Are you one of these three soils? Make a note of this. Make a consideration of this. For there must be a change. There must be a change because it is only upon the good soil where you actually see a plant that grows, where you see fruit that is produced. Look at Luke 8 and verse 8. This is the good soil. It says, And some fell on the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said, These things he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. And then in verse 15 of Luke 8, Jesus says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The farmer used the same method for each In every one of these soils, the the word was distributed. The seeds were thrown outward, and it fell into various places, but the distinction was upon where it fell, and the seed that fell here upon the good soil is that which penetrated the soil, that which grew, that which was given nutrients, that which had roots go deep down, that which had a soil that was not being choked out by these weeds that grew up, so it was able to be sustained even as the sun shined upon it, the, the, the plant grew. That which would have choked out, that which would have destroyed that earlier plant that was there on the rocky ground, that sun rather is being used for the nourishment and growth of that plant. The ways in which that is distinct and consistent with the Christian life. The ways in which the Lord will use even, even difficulties, struggles, and pain, to grow the Christian, to sanctify the Christian, to conform them to the image of Christ Jesus. And see this individually for each and every one of you, dear friends. As you go and you, you, you present the gospel to others, we must be mindful of what is being presented. It is not your role to go and to, to change the soil. It is, it is your role to go and to declare the truth. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The distinction is not in the message or the components of the message. Certainly different people are gifted in different ways, and people can communicate in different ways, but it's not about the person that's saying it. It is about the message that is there, and it is the Lord that does the work. We are to declare the truth. We are to bring the truth to others, and the Lord is the one that that brings this about. Jesus says, he who has ears him here. Then there's work that needs to be done though. We must not present a gospel to others that is merely just a declaration of what God is going to do for you and make your life better. So many times I see people that they, they, they begin they have a chance to share the gospel and they begin to get there. And it's like you, you almost got there. You, You almost did it. You you almost had a a gospel presentation. It is so necessary, dear friends, that we understand that anyone that you're sharing the gospel with understands their their need of Christ, that they understand that, that they have broken the law of God. This doesn't mean that we need to say this in an offensive way. But the gospel of Christ Jesus can be an offense to others. We need to let the gospel be the offense. And part of this declaration is the fact that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We have broken the very law of God. We have violated His perfect standard. And all of our good deeds are worthless. All of our good deeds are like filthy rags. There is nothing that we can do in any way to attain a righteousness before God. There's nothing that we can do in our religious actions to make ourselves right before God. You must see your hopelessness. You must see your insufficiency. You must see the fact that you are not able to meet the righteous standard that God requires, even on your best day. You're insufficient. You're unable. It's not something that you can bring about within yourselves, even regardless of how much money you give or how hard. You work, you must see the standard is not other people. The standard is not your siblings. It's not your parents. It's not your culture. The standard is the righteous law of God. And you find yourself unable to keep that. You find the ways that you have fallen short. And you have but one option that the Lord has given. And the means the Lord has given is the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of the Lord Jesus Christ Jesus Christ, the one who has come forward, the one who has come forward to represent his people, for we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. We are born dead in our trespasses because one who came before us sinned, and we are thereby born in sin. The actions of another have affected us. You may say, that's not fair. I don't think I agree with with such a doctrine because I don't think it's fair. Well, consider this reality. Because there are other countries that the United States has tensions with. There are difficulties that we have. And let's just suppose that um, there's a foreign country. Let's suppose there's tensions between the West and, and Russia at the moment. Suppose that the United States and Russia declared war on one another. It would not matter if you as an individual declared war on the foreign power. You are at war with them. The actions of another can affect you in this way. In fact, the actions of a very few people can affect a great many people in this regard. That's why it's important who is ruling and serving in these in these areas. And the reality that you have there is the same that is true here. The actions of your forefather Adam have affected you. You were born dead in your trespasses and sins such that, as we read in the sixteen eighty nine today, you're not able to keep this covenant of works. You're not able to attain a righteousness through your actions because your actions have been affected by the fall, you are born dead, you are born depraved, you are born um, damaged. You need one who would act before you. You, know, you need one who would act on your behalf, which is why you can't be too angry that you fell on Adam, because it is Christ Jesus that is the means that the Lord has given. That you must first see your own insufficiency. That's not enough. That's not good enough. There's other religions that would find insufficiency in people, that would find some kind of a depravity or damage in in people as they are born into this world. They would see the effects of sin in this world. All religions are trying to deal with these in, in some way. But Christianity is the only mean, the only one that gives a solution. And it is in Christ Jesus. Because Christ Jesus did two very important things, and these are two important things that that soil, that good soil that the seed falls upon, recognizes. Jesus took upon himself the fullness of the consequences of the sin of his people. The wrath of God has fallen on Christ that it would not fall upon you if you are in fact in Christ and you're trusting upon him. You don't have to fear God if you are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus additionally fulfilled the law in every way. He kept the law in every way. Respect, He never sinned in any way, and He has purchased for His people a righteousness on their behalf. We call this an alien righteousness. This is a righteousness that is outside of you, that is imputed to you. Your sin is imputed to Christ if you are in Christ, and His righteousness is imputed to you that you stand before the Lord in the perfection of Christ Jesus, in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Jesus, you are accepted in the court of God because the Son of God is accepted in the court of God. That is the only means that you can make it. He has attained it for you. He is the second Adam. So you can't be too angry with the other Adam because you need Christ that would act on your behalf. You need one who would be your federal head, one who would stand before you, one who had been the the warrior like David battled Goliath. And he defeated Goliath. And it was as though all of the Israelites had defeated the Philistines because they had. They had defeated the Philistines in David because David defeated their federal head. And David was the federal head of Israel. It is so in Christ Jesus. And that is what I'm pleading with you. That is what I'm desiring for you to see. That I know even amongst us here we have people that are these different soils. Where you are one who is just not concerned with the things of God not desirous to hear anything about this, finding ways to deride, ways to chide all kinds of Christians, the foolishness of, you can find all kinds of things that are faulty about me. You can find things that are faulty about all kinds of Christians. It will in no way help you. It will in no way gain you any righteousness. It will help you in in no regard whatsoever. And there are those that desire to have the things of God and have the things of this world, have desire to have no depth whatsoever. But in Christ Jesus, there's a grounding that is there. You must be connected. You must be correct, connected with Christ. You must have a deep root. You must see your sin and your need of Christ. And there's that third soil that, that, is, that is a sad, sad soil. That so many within this culture are, are captivated with the things of this world. That there is a spirit of this age that is captivating others. And they are so in love with the things of this world. So in love with the things that are here and now. And they're not recognizing the reality that we see each and every time there's a funeral. The reality that you see each and every day as people are born and people die, that they take nothing with them. All that you attain and gain in this life that is merely worldly, it's not going with you. None of your possessions are going with you. Only what is done for Christ will last. That only comes about in those that have been changed, those that the Lord has worked upon, those who see their need of Christ. Oh, in those people The seed of the gospel goes out. The sower throws the seed out, whoever it may be. And it may be many people in your life that have shared truths with you. That seed penetrates that soil and the roots go deep down and drink upon the water of the word of God. They see their need. They see their insufficiency. They see their own hopelessness and find hope in Christ alone. Ground themselves in Christ alone. And those plants grow As we saw at the beginning of this passage, and they grow and they produce fruit a hundredfold. Many times over, the work of God is happening in the lives of the people, and that is what the Lord is doing in His people. He's not just bringing you to faith in Christ so that when you die, you go to heaven, He is working in you even now that you may have abundant life now, that you may have victory over sin even now, that you may be conformed to the image of Christ in preparation for eternity even now. That is the work of God and the life of his people, and it is there in the good soil that we see that communicated. Oh, friends, don't, don't, don't see a passage like this and let it be too familiar. Consider yourselves. Consider where you are. Consider where your love is. Consider where your grounding is. Are you in Christ? Are you trusting in Christ? Are you believing upon Christ? Are you one of these first three soils that we mentioned? One that is so blinded. One whose heart has been hardened. One who has been turned over. One who has no depth. One who is choked out by the things of this world. May it not be. Turn to Christ while there is time. Believe upon Christ while there is time. There will not be at the point of your death. Now is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Turn to Christ. Believe upon him.